I'm John O'Loughlin. Welcome to Macduff Lives Podcast. This is not just one or two people that are raising this concern. The possibility that a Malthusian anti-human biological warfare has been going on uh, secretly in the guise of fighting cancer is a real, real, serious question. Hello, everyone. I am John O'Loughlin. Welcome to McDuff Lives. And it's a beautiful, beautiful morning in the 70s and just like I like it. So uh, good. Let's uh, relax and, and uh, talk about something deadly serious. <laughs> uh, I think we can call it Malthusianism and uh, the, the effect of that doctrine on our country. And is that something that propels deep state actors to create pathogens uh, is, you know, is this intentional or is it, you know, accidental or is, is it all really an experiment to gather information about the human genome, our most intimate and uh, revealing biology, the secrets of life, so that they can then play God themselves, the people that gain the secret knowledge. The secret knowledge of life, uh, Gnosticism, that's the religious term for it. Uh, we find through history lots of movements that are centered around some mystical character or uh, a, a person that just seems to have insight that we don't have the rest of us. And uh, also there's uh, times of, of stress where we don't know really where to turn and we can be, be seduced into following a, a guru or joining an ashram or becoming really somebody that just gives their reason, their powers of thought over to a uh, another person, a person who is thought to have some secret knowledge or intimate knowledge of how life works or what life is really consisted of. And that's, of course, what a lot of these folks are searching. They're searching for the tiniest little Lego piece so that they can put the pieces together as they will. Underlying it all is this question of, are, are these things just happening? Does nature just sometimes erupt in, into a pathogen? Then we have a, a pandemic and, you know, our job is simply to learn how to deal with it, um, maybe create something like a vaccine that will prevent it from ever happening again. It sounds almost godlike that you could stop a natural uh, disease. Uh, and then you run into the, the question of, of overpopulation, which a lot of people were really worried about in the 19th century and in the 20th century. And they started to get active and they had programs called eugenics. And they kind of uh, soft pedaled it. They said, well, this is positive at eugenics. This doesn't mean that we're going to kill anybody. We're just going to discourage uh, the procreation of those people who don't have very good genetic material. And of course, that is the source of the horrible decision of the Supreme Court by Oliver Wendell Holmes to support the Virginia case of sterilization of a woman against her will. Uh, the sterilization based upon the fact that uh, her history, her family history, was not very impressive. 
And so uh, the famous uh, quote that rings through the ages from this person, a very famous and well-esteemed justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes, who said, three generations of imbeciles are enough, quote unquote. So he bought the whole idea of genetic you know, material passing along qualities such as ability to think, ability to reason, uh, all of the other qualities that we give to people, whether somebody might be musical or somebody might be a, a, a math genius. They thought those things were passed along. And then, of course, the, they found that among themselves were the, were the very, very smart people, and these were the ones that would be favored in the positive eugenics program. But negative eugenics is uh, also part of the deal. And while it was not the, uh, the headlines, it was, in fact, going on. And that's where Nazi Germany comes in. But Nazi Germany, of course, didn't start out of nowhere. It started in the ideas of people who had a lot of money that could make things happen. And a lot of those people were named Carnegie and uh, Rockefeller and lived around Cold Spring Harbor and the eugenics office there. And we've uh, talked about and read about many times the great book uh, recently published about two years ago called The Guarded Gate, um, and, uh, which we read uh, a great deal of the book. And uh, you can see how this idea of eugenics was very popular among the intelligentsia of this country, uh, the Boston Brahmins, the, the geniuses of Wall Street and California. Well, are they trying to kill us? Or, you know, as our friend Mark keeps pointing out, and I think David and I, I agree with him that they are gathering data as fast as they can. But I think that uh, the population problem, the overpopulation problem, worried them so much that they just kind of put a deadline on it and said, we're going to have to do some uh, extreme measures to make sure that this, you know, this 8 billion people thing turns around. We got to go back the other way. Of course, the uh, imposition of the one child policy in China made a huge impact that we don't talk about anymore. Who talks about that? But I think that's been a very uh, important part of turning the world trends around. In this country, unfortunately, I think it is our health. It is our dis deteriorating uh, food products, basically. Our society turning away from uh, social interactions, such as, you know, going to play baseball together just for fun, uh, as opposed to trying to develop a career. Uh, same thing with a any, any community clubs and events, these type of, of, of uh, community involvement is also, you know, so lacking now and has been taken away from us entirely for a couple of years with the recent lockdowns. So uh, depriving us of our social interactivity uh, makes us more vulnerable, I think, to disease as well as um, to depression. And uh, the whole idea of our bodies and our minds and ourselves being all one thing does come to the minds of people who are trying to de depress us, to, to depress our country, to demoralize us as a country. And reducing the population does seem to be 
part of their agenda. Nevertheless, there is the technological side, the H.G. Wells technological future, um, Bertrand Russell's idea of a techno technological world in which everything is decided by empirical evidence and uh, you get what you deserve. Um, and it's all very much like what you hear from Klaus Schwab about the fourth industrial revolution and how we're all going to own nothing and yet be happy. So is, is AIDS an example of a program that was secretly started to decrease our population or to uh, de decrease our population of certain people such as gays or uh, black people or just weak people in general, as the eugenics would do, get rid of the old people, get rid of the sick people. They are a drain on our economy. All right, well, I'm going back to October 31st of 1997 now, uh, an issue of Executive Intelligence Review, EIR. You can read it yourself at LaRouchePub.com. It is a LaRouche publication. The author of this is Dr. Ernest Shapiro, who I did not find a whole lot about, so we'll have to leave his resume for another day. Okay. Origins of the AIDS Virus, Accident or Bio-Warfare by Dr. Ernest Shapiro. Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola, Nature, Accident or Intentional? Question mark, uh, the title of the famous book by Dr. Leonard Horowitz. What the suspicions that are being voiced by Dr. Ernest Shapiro arising out of the work of Dr. Leonard Horowitz are also very resonant as I read them when I think about the question of where did our current pandemic come from? And was is this an accident? Is this something that nature just comes up with from time to time? Or was it an accidental occurrence? Or was it intentional? So we have the same scenario with the AIDS crisis that we do today, trying to figure out the current pandemic. At last, a scientist has written a competent account of the origins of the AIDS virus. Again, this is written in 1997, the text which I'm reading. Dr. Horowitz demonstrates conclusively that AIDS was man-made. Whether this occurred by accident or intention, he does not know, but he does prove that all the necessary institutions, programs, and personnel were in place to spread the virus intentionally as a population control measure. The book is excellent in that the author presents a phenomenological method of proof, as defined by Lyndon LaRouche in his book, Dialectical Economics, as opposed to an empirical method of proof. I might stop and say this is a significance to people that have been studying Lyndon LaRouche and the idea of British empiricism. Empiricism, of course, just means what can you count? What can you measure? What can you weigh? And uh, excluding any value for spirituality or artistic uh, value or anything that's not clearly convertible into money. Okay, so empirical or, you know, into power of some kind. Um, empirical measurement 
versus what he calls phenomenological method of proof. That is, he demonstrates a coherence among the policy dynamic in the period when AIDS first appeared, the institutions and programs that were created, and the attitudes and thinking of the people who carried out the policy. He elaborates a principle of cause and effect, and he is not satisfied unless it accounts for the actual events that transpired. Most unusual is that the book details what the population policy of the Malthusians was. Starting with the congressional hearings of July 29, 1969, organized by Representative George Bush, Republican of Texas, Bush arranged testimony by General William Draper of the Population Crisis Committee, for example. Draper, in a 1971 article, had likened the developing nations to an animal reserve, where, when the animals become too numerous, the park rangers, quote, arbitrarily reduce one or another species as necessary to preserve the balanced environment for all other animals. But who will be the park ranger for the human race? Who will call out the surplus in this country or that country when the pressure of too many people and too few resources increases beyond endurance? Will the death-dealing horsemen of the apocalypse, war in its nuclear dress, hunger haunting half the human race, and disease, will the gaunt and forbidding horsemen become park ranger for the two-legged animal called man? Unquote. To be clear, that is a quote from General William Draper, not from our author. So, you see, Draper is a Malthusian. He's saying, you know, people are animals. And, you know, only those of us that have this, you know, kind of illuminated, if you want, um, you know, we're the ones that, that need to be preserved. The rest of them, well, you know, you got to be park rangers sometimes. And who's going to be the park ranger? They're not going to wait for the horsemen of the apocalypse, are they? Continuing to read the text uh, from EIR 1997. Following these hearings, Bush gained congressional support for third world population control programs backed by President Nixon and his national security advisor, drumroll Henry Kissinger. Horowitz quotes from National Security Study Memorandum NSSM 200, quote, Implications of worldwide population growth for the United States security and overseas interests, unquote. The memorandum was completed on December 10, 1974, under the direction of Kissinger. It became U.S. official policy on November 26, 1975. The document cited the World Population Plan of Action, drawn up by the first United Nations Population Conference in Bucharest, Romania in the summer of 1974, and stressed that the plan would only succeed if it were enforced by United Nations agencies and using the power of countries like the United States. NSSM 200 concentrated on 13 developing countries, which it declared were responsible for 47% of the world's expected rate of population growth. Now, we've discussed this and read um, a, a lot about it uh, with uh, uh, Jim Mars's book, A Population Control, which was taken down by YouTube, uh, my reading. I hope to get that back up one day. In the meantime, 
uh, while I'm mentioning it, make sure and sign up for our new channel, McDuff Archive, also on Rumble, uh, which is where we are every day putting up a new selected reading from the readings that have been taken down by YouTube. And we are now, I think, on our fourth or fifth show, um, reading and making comments, as I do, uh, from the book by Edwin Black, War Against the Week. So that's all connected to what we're reading this morning as well, of course. All right, so who will be the gaunt and forbidding horseman for the two-legged animal called man? Not mentioned by Horowitz, is that at the Bucharest conference, Helga Zepp, the future wife of Lyndon LaRouche, stood up and denounced John D. Rockefeller III, who was on the dais as a leader of the conference, charging him with crimes against humanity and attacking the scientific fraud of Malthusianism. Her bold intervention sparked a protest against the policy of population control among many attending countries and provoked the late, the late Dame Margaret Mead, who was one of the conference organizers, who tried to strike Zepp with the witch's forked stick that she carried around with her. Horowitz quotes NSSM 200 about the revolt that occurred at the Bucharest conference and relates what followed. Thus, when he conducted a computer search on Medlar to find references to USAID population control, in parentheses, USAID is the State Department's Agency for International Development. He found hundreds for 1975, but none thereafter. He quotes NSSM 200 on the importance of dissimulating the population control policy under the guise of such things as maternal and child health. Kissinger's role. Kissinger's role in the story is particularly important. Horowitz documents his preference for covert operations, as shown, for example, in his 19, February 1976 testimony before the Senate Subcommittee on African Affairs of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Quote, the Angola situation, Kissinger intoned, quote, is of a type where the diplomacy without, I'm sorry, I was going to intone, is of a type where the diplomacy without leverage is impotent, yet direct military confrontation would involve unnecessary risks. Thus, it is precisely one of those gray areas where covert methods are crucial if we are to have any prospect of influencing certain events of potentially global importance, unquote. Horowitz presents evidence that such possible operations may very well have included biological warfare. Horowitz delves at some length into Kissinger's oligarchical political philosophy. Oligarchical, of course, meaning, you know, the Phoenicians against the, the Holy Roman Empire, the oligarchs of Great Britain. Well, as Lyndon LaRouche uh, showed, uh, Kissinger is a British agent. Anyway, back to the text. Kissinger's oligarchical political philosophy in which policy disagreements are settled by force and there is no place for morality, only self-interest. That's British empiricism played out you know, on a worldwide way, okay, that forget about morality. You know, just forget about it. It has nothing to do with the price of wheat, right? Right. You know, 
if a certain piece of gold happened to have been in the tooth of somebody that was burned up in a gas chamber in Auschwitz, and now it's a coin in my coin collection, do I care? Well, thus in April 1955, Kissinger wrote that the United States should be prepared to conduct limited nuclear wars. Horowitz, reflecting on this, asked whether, quote, the incredible proliferation of chemical and biological weapons during the late 1960s and early 1970s may have been the result of Kissinger's articulated need for nuclear alternatives, a broader weapons arsenal that might allow for a more, quote, graduated defense and flexible response, unquote. During Nixon's first term, Kissinger, as national security advisor, concentrated power into his own hands to an extraordinary degree, including the powers that ordinarily belonged to the Secretary of Defense. There you go. That's the 60s uh, for you. In 1969, he ordered a survey of chemical and biological weapons. He and Nixon signed a treaty to eliminate these weapons, but they secretly kept a supply. Horowitz believes that Kissinger ordered the Defense Department to request an appropriation from Congress for an AIDS-like virus to be produced. Now, that's quite a charge, isn't it? Kissinger's policy, including the Malthusian policy of NSSM 200, was continued by the Carter administration under the direction of Joseph Califano, the Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare. Califano had previously held high positions in the Defense Department, including that of Deputy Secretary of Defense. Another important figure was Dr. Donald Francis, who currently heads the hepatitis branch of the Centers for Disease Control. He had a background that included research into cat leukemia, hepatitis B, and epidemiological studies on infectious diseases. When the Ebola virus struck in Zaire in 1976, He was a medical officer on the scene, on loan to the World Health Organization from CDC. Dr. Donald Francis is very important in the Hep B uh, story, which I've been studying and I will be doing a show on the Hep B research in the 60s uh, soon. I'm uh, right now I'm reading a really excellent book called Viruses and the Virus and the Vaccine about the development of the polio vaccine and the risks of SV40 and otherwise in that, uh, which of course I believe is why I got prostate cancer, the monkey virus. Well, that'll be another day, but uh, Donald Francis is an important name in that as well as this. Biowarfare capabilities. American and other scientists were operating biological research facilities and monkey colonies in Africa, the latter run by Lytton Bionetics Company. Some of the laboratories were conducting research on the relationship of viruses to cancer, similar to research going on in the United States and other countries. Scientists also carried out large-scale epidemiological studies to get a possible virus-cancer relationship. Horowitz provides evidence that virus research laboratories were set up in Zaire by Orbital Transport and Missiles Limited, OTRAG. Missiles, wow. Orbital Transport and Missiles, a West German company. The contractor for much of the work done by OTRAG in Africa was Lytton, which produced aerospace equipment, 
satellites, and biomedical materials. Litton also operated the laboratories of the Division of the National Cancer Institute that was established at Fort Detrick, Maryland in 1971, when the Frederick Cancer Research Center replaced the military facility. The lab was directed by Dr. Robert Gallo, who was later proclaimed to be the discoverer of the AIDS virus. Litton's president, Roy Ash, was, along with Kissinger, the leading contender to be Nixon's national security advisor, and in 1971, he was made an assistant to the president. None of this material on the role of Lytton in biological warfare has ever been developed systematically, nor has the vast interlocking biowarfare complex ever been systematically portrayed. The complex included the NCI, that's the National Cancer Institute, the CDC, the U.S. Public Health Service, Merck, Sharp and Doma, and New York University. The apparatus included a hitherto secret and massive program at NCI called the Special Virus Cancer Program. Horowitz had heard frequent mention of it, but only by serendipity stumbled across an official account of it for the year 1971 in one of the libraries where he was doing research. Commensurate with the vastness of this biowarfare enterprise was the vocal op opposition to it, now forgotten and rarely expressed among some leading scientists, including Nobel Prize winner Joshua Lederberg. Writing in Science in 1971, Lederberg said, quote, we are all familiar with the process of mutual escalation in which defensive efforts of one side inevitably contribute to further technical development on the other and vice versa. And the potential undoubtedly exists for the design and development of infective agents against which no credible defense is possible through the genetic and chemical manipulation of those agents, unquote. There were numerous articles in the scientific journals in the United States and Britain on the dangers of research in biowarfare, and there were protest demonstrations at Fort Detrick, which was the U.S. military's official biological warfare laboratory until it was taken over by the NCI and National Institutes of Health in 1971. Parentheses, to continue biowarfare research under the guise of various cancer studies. Close parentheses. Again, a very serious charge. Horowitz documents the fact that the U.S. military was a contractor for much of the virus cancer research, including that of Gallo at NCI, Morris Hillerman at MSD, that being the uh, Sharp and Doma firm, and Krugman at New York University. This is a famous uh, Saul Krugman, who was participated in, in the, Will the Willowbrook tragedy that we've talked about, using material gathered at hearings of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence Activities, that is the Church Committee, between 1975 and 1977, Horowitz develops what the secret CIA programs of experimentation on people were doing, including the release of viruses and bacteria in crowded places in the United States. The CIA and the Defense Department, parentheses, the Special Operations Division of the Army at Fort Detrick, close parentheses, had a joint secret project in biowarfare called MK Naomi. You've heard of MK Naomi, but you, I never 
know any details of it, so here we go. In his testimony before Congress, the late William Colby, who was drowned about a mile and a half from where I'm sitting right now, uh, off of Cobb Island, Maryland, who was then the head of the CIA, testified that he had rejected the proposal of an underling to use biowarfare in a special operation. He admitted to having received orders from Kissinger to be prepared to conduct paramilitary operations using biowarfare in covert actions. Not long after this testimony, Kissinger and President Ford decided to fire Colby. Kissinger is quoted by biographer Walter Isaacson as saying, quote, Every time that Bill Colby gets near Capitol Hill, he feels an irresistible urge to confess to some horrible crime, unquote. Horowitz's book casts light on the war on cancer, quote-unquote, as conceived by Nixon. The focus of the program was to investigate the purported viral origin of cancer. But much of the work seems to have been oriented toward potential biowarfare applications, since the viruses which were researched for their cancer-causing potential were mostly viruses that could attack the cells of the immune system, such as the leukemia, sarcoma, and lymphoma viruses, i.e., to a large extent, the RNA or retroviruses. This was the focus of Gallo's research, the man whom Nixon hailed in 1971 as the discoverer of the virus causing leukemia. Parentheses, this discovery turned out to be premature. Close parentheses. The concentration on viruses distorted the outlook of cancer researchers and led to today's focus on the genetic origins of cancer, which overlooks the nature of the processes that underlie cancer, including the phenomena of optical biophysics. Hmm. Mad scientists. In reading Horowitz's accounts of the work of these researchers, one gets the impression of mad scientists creating Frankenstein monsters. Gallo and others would mix viruses in tissue cultures or inject them together into one animal, resulting in hybrid viruses with new properties. The tissue or animal into which a virus or viruses were injected might not be the species from which they originated. Viruses tend to infect only one, or at most, a few species, but these mad scientists were breaching the species barrier, creating viruses that could infect new hosts. For example, if a cow virus, such as bovine leukemia virus, could be made to grow in human cells in tissue culture, it might then become able to infect a human being. This was the kind of thing that opponents of biowarfare were worried about. There are now a number of examples documented in which human intervention, deliberate or accidental, caused a new infectious disease. Bovine spongiform encephalopathy, BSE, or mad cow disease, for example, appeared first on British cattle farms in 1985. The infectious agent, now known to be a protein called a prion, resembles the agent called causing scrapie in sheep. It is suggested that the cattle contracted BSE from eating bone meal prepared from the carcasses of sheep. The Trail of Investigation In telling his story, Horowitz relates his own process of discovery, which makes the book very readable. He confronts the reader with the simplest, most pervasive anomaly, the obstinate refusal by the medical establishment to even consider the possible origin of AIDS in the laboratory. 
When Horowitz first presented his wife and co-investigator with the evidence that Gallo and other virus cancer researchers were covering up their knowledge of the origin of AIDS, she replied, quote, let's think about that for a minute. What was happening politically around the time cancer viruses first came in vogue? Who was in power, unquote? Horowitz had recently written a book called Deadly Innocence, another piece of medical detective work concerning the story of Dr. David Asser, the Florida dentist, five of whose patients, including teenager Kimberly Bergalis, died of AIDS. Horowitz showed that Acer had deliberately infected his patients in order to express his outrage at what he believed was the deliberate infection of homosexuals like himself by the government. Acer's story was covered up by the CDC. Horowitz then came across the work of Dr. Robert Strecker, who believed that AIDS virus was manufactured and deliberately given to people via vaccines. Strecker cited a hearing by the House Subcommittee on Appropriations in July 1969 at which the Defense Department requested a $10 million appropriation to develop viruses to which the immune system had no defense. That money was granted and distributed to a number of biological research labs, including the ones already mentioned. Horowitz picked up Streckler's association that the World Health Organization had played a key role in the research that led to the synthesis of the AIDS virus. Horowitz confirmed that the WHO had laboratories where virus cancer work was being done and acted as a center for the testing and distribution of biological products, i.e. vaccines and viruses. He also noted an inordinate interest by the WHO in a rare but lethal slow virus affecting Pacific Islanders, Kuru. That's K-U-R-U, if you are not familiar with it. Kuru is now known to be a prion disease spread by cannibalism. One thing that caught Horowitz's attention was that the WHO was making advanced information and techniques available to researchers in both the East Bloc and the West. From an official history of Fort Detrick, Horowitz learned that George Merck headed its first biowarfare program. He read that in 1969, scientists had refused to take part in a conference there while protesters demonstrated outside. The conference concerned, quote, entry and control of foreign nucleic acid in cells, unquote, Gallo's specialty. He also learned that in 1969, Nixon signed an order outlawing offensive biological research. In fact, as noted above, the programs were continued under another guise, and the bioweapons stocks were not destroyed, as revealed before the Church Committee in 1975. Instead, the NCI took over Fort Detrick from the military. Horowitz discusses the ironies surrounding the alleged discovery and naming of the AIDS virus by Robert Gallo and the French Pasteur Institute's Luc Montagnier by pointing out that both of these men were involved in virus cancer work, read each other's writings, and had attended the same conferences for years. Gallo had been creating AIDS-like viruses since the late 1960s had developed the antibodies to detect them and the means to grow these viruses in culture, including the techniques to cause virus-infected cells to reproduce themselves. He had done extensive work since the 1970s in identifying the reverse transcriptase, or RT, enzyme in cancer cells as well as in the viruses themselves. Retroviruses, such as AIDS, use this enzyme to reproduce themselves, 
when they infect a host cell. They are RNA viruses, and the RT, that's reverse transcriptase, allows them to use the machinery of the cell to make viral DNA, which in turn is needed for the virus to reproduce itself inside the cell. Ironically, although the AIDS epidemic was reported in the CDC bulletin in mid-1981, neither Gallo nor the NCI undertook any research on the disease until 1983, and Gallo sabotaged the work of others. This doesn't make sense for a biological warfare laboratory, which is supposed to protect the population. Gallo and others invented ad hoc explanations for the emergence of AIDS, all of which were proven to be wrong or remain unproven, including the assertion that the AIDS virus was prevalent in Africa years before the epidemic broke out. This line of attack was based on unconfirmed analyses of old serum samples from the 1960s. The most extreme purveyor of this kind of disinformation is Peter Duesberg, who to this day asserts that HIV is not the cause of AIDS, although he was very much in the inner circle as a principal virus cancer researcher. Virus cancer researchers and CIA officials also committed a number of very revealing slips of the tongue, detailed by Horowitz. A good example was the 1975 testimony before the Church Committee of Nathan Gordon, a chemist for the CIA. When he was asked about the decision made by his superiors not to throw out a batch of shellfish toxin, this of course is, is the famous saxatoxin, S-A-X-A toxin, he said that the toxin might be useful in research. Quote, besides, if one had to really, in effect, study immunization methods for disease vis-a-vis, -vis, who knows, cancer, anything of that particular ilk, it would take a considerable amount of this particular antigenic material to develop immunization, unquote. And I, I think about that. Now, one of the th things that we talked about, you know, in over the past three or four years now of as to what my dad might have been poisoned with was, well, perhaps it was shellfish toxin. It might have been that saxitoxin. My objection to that is that I, what I read was that saxitoxin is an immediate killer. It's not something that acts over time. But perhaps maybe they figured out a way to take it and make it act over time. And that's perhaps why the word uh, tainted shellfish was used by my dad in describing his infection with, he with hepatitis. And, you know, I, that's a complicated subject. I'll, I'll have to leave the details of that for another time if I haven't, if you haven't heard me explain about my dad's coming down with hepatitis in March of 1962. Uh, that's just going to have to be another time. I want to finish up the reading here and uh, have some time to talk about it. Okay, so he's talking about this shellfish fish toxin, and he said that the toxin might be useful in research. It would take a considerable amount of this particular antigenic material to develop immunization. Horowitz points out that by no stretch of the imagination had this material anything to do with cancer or immunity. It was a highly lethal nerve poison. In light of the appropriation requested by the Defense Department on July 29, 1969, to produce viruses capable of destroying the immune system, Gordon's slip-up makes perfect sense. 
It was Horowitz's wife's question cited above that led him to explore the targeting of black radicals and homosexuals. As he put it, quote, during the period when the domestic war against black radicals was raging, the African continent became a principal target of the COINTELPRO and other CIA anti-communist operations, unquote. This, he says, led him to look for the first time into the population control policy in Africa and the role of Henry Kissinger. The author decided to explore the possible channels for the introduction of AIDS into New York City and Africa. Noting Califano's military background and fanatical commitment to population control, he sought a connection between USAID, the Department of HEW's vaccine program purveyor, and viral vaccines. Since Merck was already under suspicion as the manufacturer of the infamous hepatitis B vaccine given to New York City homosexuals, Horowitz began to look for references to hepatitis vaccine. He at once found a fraudulent effort by CDC and other researchers to cover up the implications of the rapid growth of AIDS among New York City homosexuals, New York being the first city to get the hepatitis vaccine and the place where 50% of the first 1,000 cases of AIDS occurred. The hepatitis B vaccine was developed by Saul Krugman of New York University in collaboration with Hilleman at MSD and R.H. Purcell at NIAID, a division of the National Institutes of Health. Krugman became infamous in the 1970s when it came out that he had deliberately infected retarded children institutionalized at Willowbrook in New York City with hepatitis B virus, using the pretext that conditions there were so atrociously unsanitary that the children would become infected anyway. New York University was one of the institutions that got money from the 1969 grant of $10 million for biowarfare. Horowitz found that some of the same biowarfare researchers were heavily involved in the African vaccine programs, including Hilleman from Merck and Krugman. In fact, the hepatitis B vaccine was given to children in Burundi and Senegal. By following Krugman's trail, he learned of a conference on immunization in Africa organized by the WHO. There, a number of scientists said that multiple virus vaccines might be dangerous. One of them, Dr. Frederick Rasmussen, Jr. of the University of California School of Medicine, even suggested that a slow virus might be activated, like the Visna virus of sheep. Horowitz gives a number of accounts of laboratory contamination by viruses and even the case of unintended contamination of cell cultures by a particular line of cancer cells that became widely disseminated in Russia before the danger was recognized. One of the most scandalous examples occurred with the Salk vaccine, which was quietly withdrawn from use after it became known that the monkey tissue in which it was prepared was infected with SV40 virus, a virus which can, parentheses, rarely, close parentheses, cause brain softening in humans with AIDS and cancer in animals. All right, I have to put an asterisk here. Um, This is 1997, and uh, this person has not recognized this Dr. Shapiro has not recognized uh, the uh, prostate cancer epidemic that uh, was right around the corner and documented by Ed Haslam in his book, Dr. Mary's Monkey. 
So apparently by 1997, the, the suggestion that all of these soft tissue cancers might have come from our being uh, infected with the SV40 monkey virus through uh, our taking of the polio vaccine was not on the radar screen yet. It's interesting, isn't it? So he thought, well, it could rarely cause brain softening and cancer in animals. As related by Hilleman of Merck, the company went ahead with the distribution of the vaccine, even after they recognized this contamination. This taped account has never been published. It was brought to Horowitz's attention by Dr. John Martin, director of the Food and Drug Administration's program for vaccines between 1976 and 1980. Martin resigned from the position because he felt that these kinds of problems were not being adequately addressed. The Ebola virus. Horowitz doesn't confine himself to the AIDS virus. He devotes two chapters to the Ebola virus. Unlike Strecker and others, he develops the idea that the research which is most likely to have infected people with the AIDS virus was carried out on monkeys. This is coherent with the discoveries he had made concerning the laboratories in Africa where research was conducted on monkeys, some of which were sent to other countries in an infected condition, or which became infected while in holding centers along the way. The company that was the principal supplier of monkeys to the Western world was Lytton Bionetics. Horowitz develops a powerful argument that Marburg and Ebola viruses and closely related hemorrhagic fevers, which are 100% fatal in their monkey hosts, were created in laboratories, most likely in Africa. Marburg appeared in two German and one Yugoslav vaccine laboratories in 1969, and Ebola appeared in 1976 in Sudan and Zaire. Ebola, named after a town in Zaire, reappeared in Kikwit, Zaire in 1995, with a virus form identical to the Ebola of 20 years before. Now that's something that I notice is important to point out because as we've been studying, viruses don't retain the same genetic sequence over time. They are notoriously defective in copying themselves. So how did the exact same Ebola survive 20 years and appear in two different places in Zaire? I don't know. Horowitz quoted Seymour Kaltner, a top NCI scientist at a seminar in 1975, blurting out that, quote, simian hemorrhagic fever is a man-made disease, unquote. Then, apparently realizing what he had said, he quickly changed the subject. Coulter's role in the special virus cancer program was defined as determining the nature of, quote, viruses that emerge from the research, unquote, i.e., viruses that are created. Hence the title of Horowitz's book, Emerging. Horowitz strongly suggested that, just as Dr. Calter had said, Marburg and Ebola were man-made in the 1960s and 70s. The most recent Ebola outbreak of 1995 was man-made, too. Particularly suspicious was the spate of books and films which immediately preceded the Kikwit Ebola outbreak of 1995, quote, predicting emerging virus diseases. None of these productions suggested that Ebola was man-made. A War Against Malthusianism Of more fundamental importance is the connection this book makes between Malthusian 
population control policy, and biological warfare, especially in regard to the developing sector. By far, the most devastation from AIDS is occurring in the developing sector and in the impoverished communities of the United States. Population reduction is a hegemonic policy outlook today in the policymaking bureaucracies of the industrialized countries at the United Nations and in the thousands of non-governmental organizations, NGOs, which are active in the developing countries. As EIR has shown at the top of the population control effort worldwide is the Club of the Isles run by Britain's Prince Philip. Uh-oh, I just said that name again. Every time I say his name, I get struck by YouTube. Oh, wow. Guess what? I'm not on YouTube. <laughs> I like to say Prince Philip all day long. Okay, the Club of the Isles, run by Britain's Prince Philip. Philip has said many things which express his belief that human beings differ in no fundamental way from apes. This bestial view is coherent with his remark that were he to be reincarnated, he would want to come back as a deadly virus to help solve the alleged problem of overpopulation. The Club of the Isles has spawned a hierarchy of organizations, from the respectable but genocidal World Wildlife Fund, all the way down to such environmentalist terrorist groups as Earth First. Horowitz quotes a letter from, quote, Miss Anthropy, Printed in Earth First Journal, quote, if radical environmentalists were to invent a disease to bring human population back to ecological sanity, it would probably be something like AIDS. We can see AIDS not as a problem, but a necessary solution, unquote. The population reduction advocates in 1994 planned to cause adoption of policies at the 1994 International Conference on Population in Cairo that would have allowed the UN to force all countries to submit to a population control regime. The LaRouche movement led an international mobilization against this, which culminated in an understanding between President Clinton and Pope John Paul II to oppose any such infringement on the principle of national sovereignty. Although the Malthusians' plan was defeated, they are pursuing the same aims in other guises, including the proposed Global Warming Agreement. The Malthusians' policy will be stopped only by an overthrow of the present hegemony of their ideas and a return to the principle of national sovereignty and the right of all peoples to economic development. And that is the conclusion of the essay in EIR. Uh, by Dr. Ernest Shapiro, October 31st, 1997, Origins of the AIDS Virus Accident or Biowarfare. Well, in a minute left, I would just like to say that uh, we haven't answered the question yet, and uh, the question is still on the table with regard to subsequent emerging viruses, uh, and you know what I'm talking about. The people involved, again, you know, look at Maurice Hilleman, look at Saul Krugman, look at the uh, the history of the National Security Study Memorandum 200 in SSM 200. And, uh, you know, I read the, the book on that by uh, William Engall, Seeds of Destruction. And, you know, this is not just one or two people that are raising this concern. The possibility that a Malthusian anti-human biological warfare 
has been going on uh, secretly in the guise of fighting cancer is a real, real serious question. Mm -hmm.